and healing muscle tissue that has been atrophied due to a post-op repair. The body just adapts. And so that's the approach that I take to strength and conditioning. And, and, and it really focuses a lot on mobility, quality movement patterns, and progression. And progression's nice and slow and through. How many here have a strength training program at your schools? So we've got one strength training program, two. How, all the high schools. All the high schools. How many secondary schools, like high school building? Are we mostly high schools or, or, or middle schools? How many middle schools? Middle schools and then elementary schools. So the elementary schools, you know, maybe some of the TRX stuff will be a, a little bit more applicable, but strength training at that age is pretty difficult because as you know, um, the attention span is pretty pretty short there. At least in middle schools, it gets a little bit better, um, you know, 12, 13, 14 years of age. And then in high school, you can really hone them in. Um, so what I want to do real quick, we're going to go up and we're going to do some movement. I, I want to go over uh, just kind of assessing what good form is and what good form looks like, and then uh, and then teach you guys a little bit about TRX straps and what are the benefits of that as precursors into strength conditioning. But I wanted to highlight some things that I did some research on, and I, I kind of looked up, okay, what are some of the things that we're lacking for our adolescent population, for our younger population? And really, the biggest thing that, that, that I found is one of the biggest barriers is administration. Getting your administration on board saying, hey, strength training is very important. At a middle school age, it's very, very important. Now, I'm not saying that we gotta go and we gotta do hang cleans and squats and, and this and that at the middle school age, uh, but some form of strength training is absolutely important. Our young adolescent athletes are starting and playing five, six sports. Some play baseball year round and play at such a young age that we're having Tommy John surgery, or we're having rotator cuff repair at the age of 16 and 17. I just left the facility right now, I'm rehabbing a 14-year-old athlete that had bank heart lesion repair. Like to have that type of a surgery that early on is pretty tough. So if we can start some of these strength training principles and get your administration on board, then that's gonna help. Strength training helps to reduce injury, okay? It helps to bring camaraderie with teams together, and it helps with discipline. It really, really nails in discipline with your athletes, especially when you get a, a group of kids together in a room working hard together, getting their sweat on, pushing each other, motivating each other. They're gonna leave that. They're gonna see each other in the hallways. They're gonna high five each other. They're gonna be much more disciplined in the classroom. And they might be a little bit more focused because they're not so busy having Fortnite syndrome, you know, versus actually doing something and moving. Okay, so getting your administration on board is so, so crucial and important, and I, and I advocate for that as much as possible. Um, some current issues to be aware of. Along with getting your administration on board, it's also understanding class size. Now, I was at Hoggart High School, and not to pull out Hoggart High School at all, because it's a, it's a great institution, it was great, you know, awesome working there. But there would be 55 kids working in the weight room with one strength coach. That's not the strength coach's fault. That's not the PE teacher's fault, okay? And I understand that we're like, well, we gotta get these kids in here, we gotta get these kids in here, and that's understandable, but we run the risk of injury, and we run the risk of unwanted litigation and unwanted liability. Um, so class size is extremely important. The NSCA, National Strength and Conditioning Association, recommends 30, 30 athletes is max per one PE teacher. And I know it's hard, and I know it's like, okay, well, we don't have the money to get another PE teacher. But 
hopefully that's where maybe we can get a little creative and say, hey, we're pretty close to a community college. We're pretty close to a university. We can get an intern. I know here at UNCW, we have a class with a slew of people that are looking for internships. It would be a great, great place to intern is at a secondary school setting or at a middle school to help out your strength training programs, okay? Emphasize form. I can't stress this, this one enough. I can't even tell you how many injuries I rehabbed in the high school from deadlifting and poor deadlifting form and squatting form. Um, but form is number one. I have a saying uh, that I try and teach to my students. You have to earn your way onto the platform. And how do we do that? Well, we have good mobility, good core stability, and quality movement patterns. When we have those, then we have a successful uh, setup for successful lifting and good quality form. So emphasis on form. And then progression. I know several high schools uh, in North Carolina that they have a weightlifting problem. That's it. It's just the weightlifting class. And you have freshmen in there, and you have sophomores, and you have seniors. We've got to have a progression. There needs to be beginner weightlifting, intermediate weightlifting, and then advanced weightlifting. I know a lot of high schools, and maybe even uh, some middle schools, if they have a strength training program, um, usually that fourth block or that last period is kind of where they try and get as many athletes in as possible. Okay? So that's when we want to get them, we want to get the football team in working out, we want to get the soccer team in working out. And that's great, but we gotta understand that there needs to be a progression. Those freshmen cannot lift the same as seniors can. Those sixth graders cannot move the same. They don't have the same neuromuscular movements as eighth graders, okay? So a progression is extremely important. And then lastly, proper training for staff. Uh, I'm gonna put together a, a packet uh, and email out to you guys. I'm gonna get you guys the email. I'm gonna send you some links to Perfect. That, that's what I'll do. So I'm gonna, I'll email it to you. I'll get your information afterwards, and then, and then we'll disseminate it out and put it on the website. Um, it's gonna be a link to several different websites for resources, and then most importantly, about a 142-page handbook from the National Strength and Conditioning Association that's geared towards secondary school settings and lower for strength and conditioning. And it's literally the manual for strength and conditioning. You can do no wrong with this, okay? And it has a great table of contents you can go through, pick and choose what you feel would best fit your, your setting, and then go through that, okay? And it goes over just briefly, I wrote this down, it's 142 pages, but it goes over muscular adaptations, metabolic adaptations, mobility, stability, when do I progress my athletes, okay? So utilize that as your resource. And lastly, the end goal, minimize injury, Increase performance and increase movement quality. It's not about how much weight you can lift. It's not about, hey, I want to get to the 185 pound club. The high school used to have all this stuff, which is fantastic. But a lot of times we get athletes that try and lift too much and then they're going to run the risk of injury and then they're no good on the field. And then we lost sight of one of our, one of our most important goals, which is reduce injury rates on the field and court. Okay? So increase performance and increase movement quality. All right, so now what I want to do is I want to just go over form, okay? It's one of the most basic, basic movements is a squat, all right? If we can perform a squat, then we have pretty good mobility and stability, okay? If we can perform a squat well. So I want to go over that, 
and then I want to kind of break us up and then maybe we can have a couple volunteers and then we can try and see if we can point out what's wrong with this squat and then how do we correct this squat okay and then we can go upstairs and I can give you guys a little demo on the TRX straps and then how great these are especially for middle school and younger okay all right so let's go uh, let's come over here I like to use dowels a lot and so I'm going to take uh, Dr. Weber here and I'm going to ask him to perform a movement okay and it's really an overhead squat maneuver and this is a really advanced squat is the overhead squat and we can start them on and I like to use dowels a lot we can start them on just a, a back squat okay and as he goes through the squat he's going to have uh, I would imagine pretty good form pretty good and mobile, and he's somewhat in shape, I would say. <laughs> somewhat. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> Ellie, Ellie, you want to come over here and do this? So, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have him do a squat. It's probably going to be pretty, pretty near perfect. And then I'm going to coach you him. I'm messing up that squat. And I want to show you guys some things to look out for. Alright? So, first we're going to just do an overhead squat. Um, so, here's how I like to set up an overhead squat first. Let's go ahead and face uh, face him. Let's put the dowel first on your head. So come down on your head. So we get the dowel on his head, and I want to make sure there's a 90 degree angle at his elbow. So if I have to correct that a little bit, I'm going to correct that a little bit. He's got a 90 degree angle there. So I'm just going to say, go ahead and press on up. So press up. Now I know he's got a pretty good squat distance or arm distance for his overhead squat. So I'm going to coach cue him on his overhead squat. I'm going to say, okay, I want you to just hinge your hips backwards, push your hips backwards, and then Drop down slowly, bending your knees and your hips at the same time. And then we try and go parallel, okay? Or below parallel. And that's pretty good. He's got some pretty good thoracic mobility there to do that. And then now come back up, okay? So that's a pretty good squat. Go ahead and do it one more time. Now he hasn't warmed up at all. And that's pretty good. So come on back up. So some of the things I look for. So now go ahead down. And if he had tight lats, Latissimus dorsi, if these were tight, he's going to have a forward arm lean as he goes down because his lats are going to pull his arms downward. Alright? So if I'm doing an overhead squat assessment on an athlete, his arms are going to shift forward if his lats are pretty tight. If his arms shift forward, the lats are connected to tissue in the lower back. That's going to pull his lower back and round his lower back. If we get a rounded lower back, what injury are we risking? Does anyone know? what? A disc herniation. Is that what you're going to say? A disc herniation. <laughs> right? You were right. You were right. A disc herniation. If we round that back, especially if we have an axial load on us, we're taking our discs, that jelly donut, that's our inner vertebral disc, and we're just pushing that jelly out the back. That's not good, especially at a young age. Okay? So let's go just a regular back squat now. If he had tight hip flexors, which I'm gonna go ahead and guarantee you that every single middle schooler and every single high schooler has tight hip flexors, okay? They all have tight hip flexors, all right? So if he has tight hip flexors, as he goes down into a squat, he's gonna have a forward lean, okay? Because his hip flexors are gonna pull his torso down. The hip flexors are attached to the vertebral column, the spine, behind the organs, okay? Our, our, our visceral organs. And so they're attached to the front part of the spine. If his hip flexors are tight, they're gonna take his spine and pull it excessively lower dive, okay? So his, his rear end, his hips, 
are going to stick out and he's going to have a forward lane. And that has a whole other slew of pathologies associated with it. We call that a pars defect or a spondy. That's a small little stress fracture in the lower back. A lot of football linemen get that because they're very, very tight. They lift very, very heavy. And then they come out of this three-point stance and come up and oftentimes get pushed back. Okay? So we look for that a lot. We want to make sure that those linemen, okay, those of you in the secondary school setting, those linemen have really, really good mobile hip flexors. All right? And then lastly, the two other most important things that we look at are his hips and his knees. The knees, the knees are slave to the hips and feet. That's what I like to say. The knees are slave to the hips and feet. If there's something wrong at the hips, the knee is going to have a problem. If there's something wrong at the foot, the knee is going to have a problem. If I have tight internal rotators of my hip and weak external rotators of my thigh and my hip area, my knee is going to collapse in. So we go down and we see this a lot. The knees collapse in. Okay? So if you have an athlete that they go down into a squat and their knees collapse in, most likely they either have weak external rotators, tight internal rotators. Okay? And we can fix that. And they shouldn't be squatting. What happens if my knee goes in? Does anyone know what type of injury can happen if the knee goes in? ACL. You say ACL? Is that what I heard? ACL tear, that's right. ACL tear. Does anybody know the percentage of ACL tears that occur non-contact? 70%. 70% of ACL tears in the United States occur non-contact. That's a lot. That means they weren't touched, they planted, they shifted, and they tore their ACL. Okay? We can prevent that. And we prevent that by precursor training for the squat. And what I mean by that is doing this assessment, identifying what needs to be stretched, okay? What needs to be strengthened. Strengthen the external rotators. A lot of squat blocks. We do a lot of squat blocks. Middle schoolers, this would be great for. Middle school soccer players, this would be great for. Squat walks with bands. We put bands around their knees and we do squat walks, squat walks, squat walks. This is a great warm-up for any strength training class. Bands around the knees, squat walks, squat walks, squat walks, okay? Right, we're on kind of a hard surface here. Maybe some of you guys are, uh, have some jeans on, so it's going to be a little bit harder. But I want to show you two stretches that are really good that I do with all of my athletes before we do strength training. And that's half-kneeling stretch. So let's come down into this half-kneeling pose here. And the court might be a little hard for you on your knees. So we're down on our knees. Now I like to say this, imagine that your hips are a bucket full of water. And we're gonna take that full bucket of water and we're gonna tip that bucket of water so the water spills out the back. So we tip our hips backwards. It's called a posterior pelvic tilt. Now, someone in eighth grade does not know what a posterior pelvic <laughs> tilt is, but they know what a bucket of water is. So we tilt that back. We don't wanna arc our back, we wanna just tilt that bucket of water back and we're spilling that water out the back. Then we're gonna drive our knee forward. Does anyone feel that stretch in that hip? Maybe your knees don't feel too good on this court. Okay? But that's right there a hip flexor stretch, okay? So we always do that before we lift. The next one we do, let's switch to save that knee. Take that leg, put it out. We're gonna take our hand, push it against that leg. Now if you push that against your leg, which way does your torso go? It's going to go with it. That's because the muscles of the internal rotators are tied into your torso here. 
okay? So we gotta take our, our torso and rotate it back the other direction. And then we're gonna take that knee that we're pushing on to stay out and drive it towards our toe. You feel that stretch? If you're saying, holy moly, I feel that. That's the internal rotators of your hip. If that's tight, that pulls your knee in. If that pulls your knee in, that can tear your ACL, okay? The last thing that I'm gonna say before we break up maybe and try some overhead squat assessments with each other is this. Back when I was in school, which uh, in high school was 96, I was a freshman, we still static stretched. By the time I left high school, 99, we stopped static stretching. Because somewhere in there, someone wrote an article about how static stretching decreases power output. And yes, I will say static stretching does decrease power output. It's called down regulation. It lasts for about two hours. But the decrease in power output is very, very minimal. If you have a 100 meter sprinter, that's important. Maybe I wouldn't static stretch before. If I have a running back, that's important. Maybe I wouldn't static stretch before that. But how many of us actually take their students and go through long-term static stretching, not just 20 seconds, one minute or more? And that decreases injury exponentially. It outweighs the loss of power output versus injury prevention. As a coach, it's very frustrating to have our students or athletes that have knee pain because of patellar tendonitis, and then they're out, versus, you know what, let me take six minutes with my team and do some long-term static stretching with them. It's not gonna decrease that much power output. It's gonna benefit your team in the long run. So static stretching before lifting is a very, very good thing. If you ever get a chance to go to some of these weightlifting competitions, you'll be able to see how long they static stretch prior to actually lifting. And the US Olympic lift team static stretches quite a bit. And they lift several, several hundreds of kilos. Okay, let's do this. Get a partner. And then no matter how our, no matter how our uh, squat looks, it's okay. Get a partner. And uh, what I'd like you to do is we're just gonna take our hands and our shoulders and put them behind our head. So one person does this while the other person watches them squat. And then what I want you to do is just nice and easy in this position, come down into a squat and then come back up. Do three trials. And the reason why we put our hands on our head is because if our lats are tight, you're gonna see that. Their arms are gonna cave in and they're gonna curl in, okay? So this is a really good, easy way to do this.
real quick, let's go upstairs. And then I want to just quickly introduce you to the TRX straps and what you can do with that. Oh yeah, I'm all about that. I love that, and I've never Mobil really seen it until I saw you doing it. Oh, uh, mobility is—I yeah. found a new passion for sure. Well, see, I started doing kettlebells like nine years ago. Yeah. i i feel like I'm going. I feel like I'm starting from yeah. scratch. Yeah. Like I, literally, like, I feel like I have no one. Railing there. I think for someone to back was all that. Uh, railing's not the safest. Okay. Questions? 